Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we're talking about Hadrian's Wall. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. And I'm Chris. And Kitty is out this week with, you know, kids. So Fletcher and I are going to talk about how we spent part of our Sunday, spoiler alert, has something to do with Hadrian's Wall, and what makes this game so interesting, with the appearance of being extra complicated... For a flip and write game. Um, but first, as always, I thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Cox, Sarah Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, and the Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Join us on Zoom, where we just got done debating Mac versus Apple, um, which was fun. What? Mac versus, Mac versus Apple? Apple? No. Windows. <laughs> so Microsoft doesn't. Well, Microsoft exists in my world, but Windows does not. So Windows versus Mac. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, Windows, yep, yep. an operating system versus Mac, a computer. Um, well, but Mac OS and Mac and like Windows, you know what I'm talking about. It, in know. other words, it was really boring. So if you skipped out on today's uh, live audience, you just missed some of that. Although there's some other interesting stuff that, in there too. Um, you can also join us on Discord if you want to continue to talk about Windows versus Mac. And you can join us on our BGA group if you want to eventually see maybe what ends up happening with this new collaboration that Fletcher and I have going on. Um, but yeah, so that's that's it. Fletcher, how was your weekend? Not counting Sunday. Not counting Sunday. Um, it, was, it was good. Carmen was working pretty much the whole weekend, so I was left at home just loafing around, cleaning, doing nothing interesting hung out with some other friends in the city on uh, saturday or friday you don't have any it. friends you're right that was that was all made up <laughs> i shuttered island myself i just assume that you just always shut in you got a new house so you could like hide in the office for the entire time <laughs> that's pretty much what i do yeah it works i mean that's what i do so i just assume everyone else does it's like where do you live in my basement your parents yeah. basement no my basement I live my own in basement. my basement. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse. I it's put so worse. There. I have to pay the mortgage and I still live in the basement. Yep. That is my life. Now we, let's see, we had some friends come up and visit. So that was cool. And I, I want to say the weekend was really busy, but I don't remember a lot of it. So I have to think it was so busy that I just completely blocked it out because suddenly it was Friday and then it was Monday. And all I can think of, all I remember is it was a couple nights of sleep where I didn't have to do work. The end of... <laughs> didn't you say and, you worked on Saturday? I did. Yes, I did do work on Saturday. It's this end of year thing and work has just gotten crazy. Oh, I remember what I did. I shipped was out a whole bunch of games. On Saturday? I, that was, I did do real work work on Saturday. But I also shipped out about i don't know oh, 150 yeah. pounds of games it was a lot it you was should, a lot you sent me a picture yeah they were stacked up if the boxes stacked up were definitely about 10 feet high probably if you stacked them up all on top of each other if, if yeah, they stacked maybe. them up all on top of each other they were yeah so what that means is everyone who got games off of discord your games are in the mail and you should have gotten notification from me that that is the case if you are waiting for anything for me from this entire year um shoot me a note because i don't know you exist and <laughs> i apologize for that but you never will yeah so miles asked how much was shipping and so this is this is where 
fun story. I don't like selling my games because I don't like dealing with the shipping. So I give them away and then deal with the shipping. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. Even in my brain, at no point does it make sense. But for some reason, it just feels better to be philanthropic, um, if that's what you can call giving away games. But in any case, um, I typically, when I ship something, I pack it up and then I walk into the UPS store and then they weigh it and they put a label on it. And every number they give me, I'm like sticker shock. And but I'm like, okay, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Holy crap. Like, it's insane. So... But Sydney has been doing resale for, you know, a year or so. And she, st- she doesn't do it now. She gave it up when we went back to um, Kickstarter. But, or when the Kickstarter, when we went back to Keyforge. So that's now her hobby instead of resale. <laughs> but she still has her shipping account. So she's like, we can just use my shipping account. And I'm like, it can't be that much of a better deal. But okay, sure. If you want to help me make labels, let's go ahead and do this. Because we have a scale that weighs boxes up to like 150 pounds. Is it, and, is it you a know, UPS shipping account or, or like a USPS? Um, no, it FedEx? is. Oh, I forget the name of it. Um, but it basically will compare against like multiple different shipping companies. Um, oh, so interesting. It, for this, it bounced back and forth between UPS and um, uh, USPS. So either the mail or UPS. And so she'd scan it in there and she'd look at the prices for the different things. And she could say, okay, well, for UPS, it's going to cost $8. If you send this one through USPS, it's going to cost $35. I'm like, well, let's do the $8 one. That makes more sense. <laughs> Um, but then some t- sometimes the packages were reversed. So it turns out if the boxes are small, it's cheaper to go through USPS. If they're big, it's cheaper to go through UPS. Now that's by itself is okay. But then I shipped a um, about a 20 pound box to Mexico. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be insane. Like ridiculous insane. Um, and I might not do it, but let's see what the price is and and we'll decide if it's if it's worth shipping. So and the other thing this this application does is it tells her how much it would have cost if you just walked in. Pirate ship. That's what yes, thanks, Christopher. That's um what she uses. So the box to Mexico, had we just walked into UPS, would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of like $185. On pirate wow. ship, it was $65. And I'm like, oh. That's not bad at all. So the most expensive inner like in country, uh, uh, not international. That's national, no regional. I yeah. don't know. Um, inside the U.S., the most expensive one was twenty bucks, and that was a thirty pound box, like a thirty three pound box going to California. So it turned out that Sydney saved a lot of our listeners a lot of money because the average shipping price was somewhere between eight and twelve dollars for most people. Wow, and, that's cool. You need an account to use this. Um, yeah, but you can sign up and you just get it for free. So I don't even think I don't think she pays anything for it. She just wow. Do you just like print it. out the label or something or what? Just print. Yep. So I print. We have like the double page sticky label. So you just print it on a normal printer. Nowadays I use the laser printer, um, but you can print it on anything, and then you just slap the sticker on the package, drop it Very off, cool. and you're good to go. So, yeah, this is kind of my plug for pirate ship. I was a schlub before just like walking over to UPS and being like here. But it is <laughs> crazy. Like it's a minimum 30% savings, but in some cases, like crazy, crazy much more. So, yeah, check out pirate ship. Okay. Um, like I say, I don't know if she pays for it. I don't think so, though, because I don't think she'd continue to pay for it. Um, I'll take a look. So, and I know they make their money off of whenever you get uh whenever they get print a label they're making money off of you yeah they probably get a cut of everything that you when you buy a you know whatever yeah well it's like 
it's like stamps.com, right? Like you don't have to go to the yeah. post office and pay retail for stamps. You just go to stamps.com and they send you discounted stamps. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you do that? Even though I've never done that. I always just go to the post office <laughs> and buy stamps. Um, I, I think it's just kind of that barrier of learning that this is easier than you think it is type of thing. So I'm like, yeah. all right. Um, or you can, speaking, I mean, yeah, you need some for you have to do some planning. You can't just like go to the post office and be like here. Yeah, no, and like the post office is crazy too because you get you get past a certain weight or a certain dimension, and all of a sudden the price is like triple. And I'm just like, yeah. uh, no, thank you. Totally. That's why I always try to use those flat rate shipping boxes. Yep. So I do apologize for those who I shipped out before realizing that pirate ship was so much cheaper because um, a few people got their games earlier because there were uh, time constraints and those ones were probably double the prices they should have been if I would using was using pirate <laughs> ship. So, but still lots of free games on the inside. Um, let's see. But speaking of plugs, I do anyone who is in the northern illinois area this saturday 11 to 4 gift of games um sydney and i are putting on a keyforge event uh which is super casual play just come if you don't have any you can come with nothing um the your entry fee of like i think it's like 750 seven dollars and fifty cents um includes a free keyforge deck and we'll probably play for like four or five games at that point um and what we're doing is just coming and having an entry fee you get entered into a a random drawing and then every time you win you get entered into a winner's pool every time you lose you get entered into a loser's pool so there'll be three pools total and there'll be one winner from each pool that'll get a winds of exchange deck that is sealed unopened and probably two to three months earlier than these will be for um retail sale so if you're in the area and not busy like michael um then (laughs) stop by because it'll be a lot of fun um let's see uh fletcher what level are you on marvel snap uh i checked earlier i think i'm at 245 actually haven't played in a few days um fletcher the new season pass starts in a few minutes i think oh really yeah um new season pass began it actually literally just started right now oh okay the start of the new season you lose three tiers you cannot drop below iron okay so basically this one is the Power Cosmic Season. Wield the power of Cosmic with Silver Surfer in the new Premium Season Pass. Um, now I have to click on the Check It Out button. So, yeah, Silver Server. Su- Silver Server. Silver Surfer. <laughs> um, give your other three cost cards plus three power. That's kind of neat. Um, yeah, so that is started. And I am pretty hooked on this game right now. I. I think that it has some staying power for me because even when I don't have any missions to complete, I still want to play the game and I'm just having fun playing the game. So my current level collection level is 538. Holy crap. I got up to 53 in the season level. And so now I'm back down to 20. But um, the nice thing about the season level is you don't really like it just resets. So it's the only thing that goes down if you lose and once you get past that, like, well, I don't really need to get to season level 100 to feel satisfied about my life. I can just play for fun. I'd have a really good time. Um, ooh, they have new titles. In. I will spare you your puny planet. That's a good one. <laughs> so, yeah, Marvel Snap. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's like you can totally play it for free or spend $10 a month like I do. Because I had a lot of fun and I haven't spent any money yet. 
So yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't think anyone needs to spend money on it. Um, I just like getting all the stuff. So I don't mind. And they have a new, uh, they've unlocked the card market. So series one and two cards, you basically, as you level up, once you get to level 500, you have all series one and series two cards. Um, and then 500, it unlocks the card store. And so there's like a rotating series three, four, or five card in there that you can potentially get if you even buy with tokens. Um, so now you go to the card store every eight hours is a new card and you're like, oh, do I want to buy this or no? And they're not cheap, but it allows you to like kind of complete your collection. And if you there's something that rotates in that you really want, but you can't afford it, you can pin it and then it'll just stay there forever until you can afford to to get it. So there's there's enough motivation here that keeps me going. And as long as I can never get everything, I will keep playing to try and get everything. <laughs> That's just how these go. Um, oh, this is a good one. On reveal. If this last card you played was an on reveal ability, this card copies it. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. But that would be all what, of my tokens. Is it a three-cost card? It is, it is a Series 4 card, so it would cost all of my tokens. It is a four-cost card with three power, four. and it says on reveal. If your last card you played was an on reveal ability, this card copies it. So basically, it doubles on reveal, uh, an on reveal ability. Um, if you play Marvel Snap, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, wait till we get to Hadrian's Ball, because that one's going to go way beyond, way beyond. All right. I'm going to not look at Marvel Snap anymore. Just set that right over there. (laughs) All is good. Um, Someone asked me the other day about my 3D printing update. And I I think I mentioned on air that I'm expecting a new 3D printer to come in soon. It still hasn't come in. But I'm designing a box that can be used as a scenario box for Arkham Horror. And then I want to be able to make eight of them and put them all in like the different um, campaign boxes. So right now I'm printing out multiple versions of this. And if you're on camera, you could see basically what I'm showing here. But there's like the first panel first. There's three sections in this and the first two sections lean back. So you have your draw and discard. And then the last section stands up, which is like your out of play cards. And so that's what I'm doing with my 3D printer these days. Um, And... Yeah, my printer's been running nonstop because these things take about 12 hours to print out when I press print. (laughs) Not quick. They are not quick. The new printer's supposed to be like 70% faster, whatever that means. Um, You know, I probably should have like asked you because I had to buy these things on off off Amazon for my like alarm system that uses like these magnets that stick to the door. Mm -hmm. But the molding around my door is so... thick compared to like the door itself that they don't line up when the door is closed so i have to get like this big riser that like sticks out from my door so that they are actually flush the magnet is flush to the sensor and i paid you know ten dollars each for like these little 3d printed risers and i can tell they're 3d printed because um they have like the little lines and everything on them and ring doesn't sell them themselves so i was like man these things are expensive (laughs) Yeah, I can stupid things. I can print just about anything for you. Um, If I thought about it, I probably would have just said like, I don't know, sent you a file. I'm like, can you can you print this out and I'll pick it up later. Yeah, well, and I like so I use um, uh, Open Open SCAD, which is a scripting language to do 3D modeling. Uh, So I don't have to like it's not like a 3D drawing program. Program it is you know you make things out of 
cubes and spheres and other things. Also, you can import STLs and modify those STLs with it. But it makes it really easy to just make anything I want, print it out, tweak it, print it out. Um, and yeah, so I can just really kind of do whatever I want. Terrence asked, like, can I make car trays like the Team Covenant team uses? And yeah, it's actually not even hard. Um, I was looking at something like that. So if Team Covenant, they do a lot of the fantasy flight um, stuff. So they have like an Arkham Horror car trays and um, Marvel United. So you put your character in the center and then you have counters that kind of float around it. And then they have the special acrylic counters that fit in there as well. But really all they did is just kind of model up and, make, and theirs look really nice. Like they have an artist that actually kind of goes through and does a pass on them. Um, but the actual functional pieces of it are pretty easy to do. And I could, you know, create a file to to do that. Um, I mean, the whole reason I got into 3D printing in the first place was for Car Wars stuff. And now the Car Wars Kickstarter for their STLs, STLs are the files that you use for 3D printers, um, I think is completing soon or will complete soon. Um, so now I'll have the STLs for all the cars and I'll be able to print them out in whatever scale I want, uh, which is kind of neat. Cause that's what I originally got the 3d printer for was so I could scale down car wars and play on much bigger surfaces with the same size cars. So, yep. I'm still doing 3d printer stuff. Sometimes it pauses, like I'll spend a month not using my printer and then I'll spend several days kind of tweaking like I'll tweak a model. It takes me about 10 minutes to tweak the model. And then I press print and next, you know, 24 hours later, I'll like, okay, now I can tweak it again. Um, Terrence asked if nice. the car war stuff is for the cars or for weapons. So it's both. They have all the car models in there. And then like, I don't know, four or five dozen different weapons that you can kind of attach. Like you can print out the weapons by themselves, but you can also, if you have a 3d modeling application, you can bring them in and attach the weapons to the cars. Um, to like customize that aspect of it. So it's kind of neat. Like if you think about something like Hero Forge, where you're designing a character and mixing and matching and adding things, this is a little bit more manual, but it's like, here are all these cars and here are all these weapons. And you can kind of mix and match yourself to attach and, and print them out. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. I still haven't printed any of my fantasy coins that I backed a few weeks ago and I want to print those, but um, I haven't turned my resin printer on in a long time. So no, once I, I thought you liked your resin printer more. I do. I like the results of the resin printer, printer much more. But for things like boxes, the resin you have to have a it's too it's, small. It's too small because it gets brittler when it's bigger. the The stuff that the filament printers do is a lot stronger. With um, it's just a lot more suited for making boxes and stuff like that. Plus, the build plates on the resin is much smaller. Like, they're great for miniatures and things like that. But if you want to do, like, box inserts and use the filament stuff, mm. uh, works better. And then this weekend, I also picked up a new Lego set um, because what it was... It? was it actually... it was I think it was a Cyber Monday sale or something. So it was, I ordered it last... last um, over the sale weekend and just got it a couple days ago. Not the Razor Crest. I got the Lego Atari. And Lego this, Atari? Uh, I have yeah. to see this. This is like the Atari 2600 and it is awesome. Actually, I don't think it's the 2600, but that's how I know it is the Atari 2600, but it is very very cool. Um I've been Atari putting 2600. it together. 
Yeah, Atari 2600. Yeah, I've been putting it yeah. together a couple bakes at a time each night because I'm not like doing a marathon build of it. And it is, it's, it has like, you build the little cartridges. So there's three different cartridges, which is Asteroids, Atari, and Adventure. And they're like the size of the Atari cartridge. And then when you build the Atari itself, um, it has like a little hidden thing. So when you slide the, you can slide the Atari apart a little bit and then it pops up with a little scene of a kid playing an Atari in front of his, his oh, computer yeah. or TV screen. With, um, with wood paneling in the background. <laughs> with wood paneling. Yeah. It is, Total, it is one of the totally like eighties living room looking. Yeah. Cool. It is, it is such a cool little thing. And then there's three little dioramas that are just kind of like extra things that each one goes with the, a cartridge that I don't even know what you, this like, is they really just, cool. Yeah, they just kind of sit there, um, but it is it is really really neat. Uh, I did not get the Nintendo. I kind of want to get the Nintendo, but if I had to pick between the Atari and the Nintendo, I think the Atari is really cool. Although Nintendo has a little TV that, and it has a like a a little knob in the back. So as you spin the knob, the Mario will jump through his little thing on the nintendo tv so i may have to end up getting the nintendo too after this one but this is you just need both of them i just need both of them but the atari was the the first thing that i remember these are playing as video games no these are it's lego it's not yeah but i mean crazy. Like, even for lego like yeah i mean it's not crazy not a 60 dollars thing no, no 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 this is 240 dollars on at retail price um now i'm pretty sure i got it at a deal or I got a bunch of like gift with purchases or um, something like that, but it is, there are a lot of Lego in there. Uh, so it's not like it's a bad Lego price. It's just, there's a lot of Lego there. And apparently, Oh boy, I should not have gone to the Lego site. Cause it just occurred to me that there's a Santa's workshop gift with purchase. And that looks adorable. So if you haven't bought Lego, and eventually we will do a Lego episode part two, but um, in general, when you buy Lego, they have a lot of like gift with purchases, spend $40, get a train, which uh, Zachary and I went to the Lego store today and we spent $40 and got a train. So he's like, I want to put the train together any way I want. I'm like, all right. So you got a little poly bag of, of Lego, but for $150, then you get Santa's workshop and the Santa's workshop looks really cute and so i'm trying to get a bunch of christmas legos but so now i have to buy something new sorry sydney it's for the santa's workshop it's it's totally worth it i promise <laughs> i i feel bad at how much um sydney learns about what i've picked up and stuff from this podcast she's like you did what you spent how much <laughs> It's usually not that. This time I got yelled at for um, setting the date for TGTCon 2 without um, clearing it. She's like, you said it on a four-day weekend. I'm one of the people saying no. And I'm like, or a three-day weekend. I'm like, you don't have President's Day off. She's like, "Uh, but, oh, I don't? I'm like, no, your job's not that cool. And she's like, oh, never mind then. You can have your TGTCon. So that is, that's where we're at there. Also, they have an Eiffel Tower the Lego Eiffel Tower. I saw that in person today. It is a five foot tall Lego structure. Whoa. It is giant and it looks awesome. And I am not going to buy that because that is $630 and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. The razor crest that, you know, Christopher mentions in chat, that is another um, like $600 Lego set, but I saw that in person today and it also looks awesome. Um, But I have my limits. I have 
I have my limits. Even I have my limits. And it is somewhere below $600. Somewhere. Somewhere below $600. Somewhere below $600. It's, it's $599. Yeah. Um, Terrence asked what Lego store I was at. And I was at Gurney. Um, and I'm actually... I guess I'm in Chicago, so it or in the Chicago area, but we have like four Lego stores within an hour of us. And apparently that's a very uncommon thing. There's not a lot of Lego stores out there. Um, but ours our closest You're in ones in the Chicago about, area, so I mean there's yeah. lots of Yeah. Our closest one's about twenty minutes away. And the reason it matters is because like the pick a brick wall where you can go in and, and just grab a bunch of stuff. So that's what we did today is we went in and Zachary needed what he calls garbage can lids, which are round lego round lego plates like a two by two round lego plate and he likes putting those on top of the two by two round lego bricks and they look like garbage cans so he has a whole bunch of the round lego ones and he's like i don't have any more garbage cans i'm like all right we'll go to the lego store and see if they have any more so we picked up like i don't know 120 garbage can lids for him so he'll never (laughs) run out again but that's fun all right let's see is there anything else before we go into hadrian's wall Fletcher, you have anything else to talk about before we talk about Hadrian's Wall? We covered a lot of stuff. (laughs) All right. Um, Hadrian's Wall. So, a little background here. If you were listening to us at the beginning of the year, then you know that I started writing Hadrian's Wall for Board Game Arena. And it, you know, publisher backed. Yes, everything's good. Let's do this. All good. And so I got a decent way in. And then life started happening. And I kept wanting to get back to it, wanting to get back to it. And as thing as you do with things that projects you start, the further you would get away from those projects, the less likely it is that you're ever going to actually go back to it. Uh, so, Fletcher, you said, hey, I would help you with Hadrian's Wall. And I don't know if it was on or off air, but you mentioned that last week. So we set an actual time and put it in our calendar for Sunday at 1230. Um, and then I told you at 12.10 I was, or 1.10 I was ready. Um <laughs> you let me know at you did let me know at 12 10 that you're like i have to run some errands i'll let you know when yeah I get back that's that's what i sent you the picture of all the boxes i'm like i'm dropping these off so yeah. um so one o'clock ish we get on zoom and i figure and i and i asked you i said hey have you ever played hadrian's wall and you said nope yep so i'm like okay well we should probably learn how to play this game first and we played it on BGA. Like we played it, the the game that I had written, uh, we played it there and it actually worked, came, you know, start to finish. Everything uh, was working. There's a few parts of the a game that, still that we ran aren't into, done. but nothing broke. Yeah. Yeah. There was a few bugs, but we actually were able to get through the whole thing. And that was your first experience with it in a relatively, you know, rough ish form. Actually, the gameplay itself yeah, is not, not that actually rough. that bad. Yeah, the gameplay is fine. No. It's just it's missing three sections of the civilian board essentially. So there's you're yeah. playing a subset, and then of the some game. minor you know tweaks here and there. But like, yeah. I would not call it rough. So what did you think of the game? And then I'll I'll give a quick description of what the game is. But I just want to get your impressions of the game. Is this something that is you know you could see yourself playing more than once? Unlike Railroad Inc. <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely can see myself playing this game more than once. I, I think what you described it, Chris, as a uh, what? Not a, it's not a roll and write. It's a it's a flip, flip and fill. fill. Flip yep. and fill. Um, you, you essentially, you get all these 
resources, whether they be bricks or, or different kinds of, you know, people that you then place and spend in, in different areas of, uh, of the board, which will then unlock either points or different kinds of resources or, or more people that you can then use to fill more stuff in. It's kind of like, um, it's, it's like a cross between a pachinko machine and a Rube Goldberg machine where <laughs> you don't exactly know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, you, you do, but sometimes you can like cascade. It, it, it's kind of like bejeweled in a way or, or something. You, you can unbeknownst to yourself set up these like really great cascades where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this because I only have one more guy left. Oh, but this gives me this guy and I'll spend this guy over here. Oh, but that gives me another guy in a brick and the brick I'll use for this thing, which gives me a, which gives me a point. And then the other guy, you can, well, you think you have one more move left. You actually have like eight more moves left. Yeah. And it's, it's like, gives you these little endorphin rushes as you're playing. Yeah. Cause like everything uh, you do can lead to something else. Though I have never played the, you know, the physical board game. I feel like maybe this would be a little maddening to keep track of <laughs> doing all of this manually. And it kind of reminded me of, um, you know, our experience with uh, terraforming Mars, where I think we both agree that the digital version is a superior game because it'll just tell you what you can do as opposed to you trying to figure out like, well, can I do this? No, I can't do this yet. Can yeah. I do this? It just kind of presents you. You have these three options and you're like, okay, I picked this one. Yeah, I will say that when you spend most of the game trying to figure out what you can do, it's not as satisfying as just playing the game with, okay, this is what I can, this is what I can do. What should I do? Right. So, and on Board Game Arena, the way that I have this set up is, uh, well, let's step back. For those who have not played Hadrian's Wall, which I'm assuming is the vast majority of our listeners, this is, it's, it's a, it's been called just a super complicated role and write. I actually think of this more as a resource management Euro game than a roll and write. So you are flipping a card to say, okay, here are the resources I get. But in the physical game, you're literally taking these resources. They're, they're uh, wooden bits that you have in front of you. And then you're going to draw two cards and you're going to pick one that is going to be a goal and one that is going to be more bits that you get. And every round, you're going to draw two cards. You have 12 cards in your deck. Six of them are going to become goals that you can score with and six of them will become extra bits you have. So that's the start of every round. You get Everyone gets this number of bits and then you're going to get Draw two cards, pick one to score with, and here's some extra bits you get. On the board itself, you can also generate new bits at the beginning, depending on whatever certain production levels are at when you start playing. And then from that point on, you could simplify it as it's a cube pusher. I spend this cube to get that cube. I spend that cube and that cube to get a point. And... It really is just that. It's a resource management Euro game where you're exchanging resources, mostly solo. Um, there is some player interaction that comes into play around a couple different special actions you can take on the board. But for the most part, you can play the game totally solo, even though you're using shared resources. And at the end of six rounds, whoever has the most points wins. Uh, your points range usually between like 50 and 100, um, where like 70-ish, 75 is a pretty good score. It is presented in two sheets of paper, though. And 
hundreds of little boxes that you fill in. And when you fill in a box, if it's empty, that's it. You fill in that box. But if you fill in a box and there's an icon there, sometimes that gives you a worker. Sometimes it gives you a resource. Sometimes it unchecks something else or checks something else on your sheet. And at the end of every round, you get attacked. And so it'll be another, everyone's getting attacked with the same cards. And if you can defend against them, great. If not, you get dishonor and that gives you negative points at the end of the game. There's just a whole bunch you can do. And once you start playing, you realize the game is very, very straightforward. It's not hard to play at all. No. It's just overwhelming to look at when you start playing it. It and is overwhelming to look at. You're like, there are so many like <laughs> spaces on this on, on the board. Like, what do these do? Yep. And you don't have any like sense of, well, what should I do first? Right? What is the good strategy? And I will say that one of the reasons I stopped, I needed a break from writing it is because I was testing it so much. And I've mentioned this before. Most of the time when I write a game, if I play it too much, once it's done, I never want to play it again. And I don't want this game to get to that point. And I was getting to a point where I'm like, oh, I've kind of solved the first two turns. Like you should always do these things in the first two turns. And I don't think that is true. But for me, I was I just kept doing the same thing, and so I got stuck in a rut, and I had to step back away from it. And then when you and I played, it was I, I just felt the thrill of like the game again. I was like, okay, no, 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 this is actually a fun game. We need to start working on this again. So yeah. after we played a game, and you know, we and we played through the full the, a full game. Um, I started walking through board game arena, how the development system works, the languages that is used, the different files that are used, um, a little bit over the code and how it worked. Um, now, you have not used, I think, any of these technologies, really. Besides not, I mean, JavaScript, but that's it. Right. And right. So JavaScript. Um, so for those who know, it's JavaScript, HTML, CSS, PHP, and SQL are the languages used to write a board game arena game. And you have to use them all. Um so what did you think about the complexity of the platform itself? I mean, it's it's way more complex than what I'm used to. That's for sure. <laughs> it's like any, it, I mean, when you're describing it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like web development. That's, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of technologies that come together to form, you know, a, a web page. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it is a lot more complex. I don't think it's like overly complex, at least for me, but when you were when we're going through everything it's like okay here's the sequel okay here's the php and i don't know any php i'm looking at the syntax i'm like okay this looks a little weird here's javascript okay i kind of understand this okay now here's this thing now here's this thing and i put this over here i'm like okay okay (laughs) like it was just a lot (laughs) well then then yeah so all the data um i mentioned that there's hundreds of little boxes that you can check in and all of them have to be mapped uh, because the game has to be able to be interfaced with them. And each one of them can have a number of traits to it. And and I'm like, okay, so here are the 200 and some odd boxes that can be filled in, and this is the data for that. And also, this data is, also exists in this other file. So it's in PHP and it's in JavaScript, but different aspects of it. And your eyes sort of glaze over like, don't, 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 don't worry, I have a Google Sheet that I put all the data in, and then that writes the code for the JavaScript and the PHP that I can then copy and paste. And yeah, so as I was like getting back into seeing how this worked, I'm like, okay, this is this is going to be a task. This is going to be a task 
but I think it's one worth getting back into. And and then we talked briefly after this because we we were probably three hours we spent looking over the game and stuff. And at the end, yeah. we had talked briefly about you know whether or not you were interested in still helping with this. And we got a soft we had a soft committal maybe. So now I'm going to ask you on air in front of everybody: Are you going to make sure this game turns into an actual BGA game? Because then it's going to be all on you. <laughs> Yes, I will keep pestering you to make sure that you release this game. <laughs> you have to. I, I gave you access to the code base, so you have to actually write some I code. I will. I mean, I'll probably. We talked about this yesterday, but I'll probably first start out with <laughs> with moving all the black squares around to make sure that they line up. <laughs> it's like the most menial task, but like starting off with that. Yeah, so getting the mo- all those nice and pretty. Yeah, so basically, what ends up happening is um, all of the different boxes. When I when I turn them on so that I can see where all the overlays are, they become these black boxes, and they need to like black out all the white, and that's how I know that it's in the right spot. But none of them are in the right spot; they're all off by a pixel or two here and there. And I'm like, yeah, I could have gone through and fixed all of these and done that, but. It was taking me hours to do, so I decided to go and work on actual gameplay. Um, so that's where I'm going to start Fletcher. I'm like, okay, just go through and do this incredibly tedious work of moving these <laughs> either one pixel or one half pixel, because some of them just need to be moved to half a pixel. And yeah, we'll start there and then add tooltips to everything. So when you hover over it, it pops up the right tooltip. Um, and then while you're doing that, I'll go and actually work on the <laughs> the real stuff the gameplay stuff so did you sign up for a developer account on bga not yet but i will all right so that is the next step because then you can actually run the game run your version of the game and i can run my version of the game so you'll be running it in your developer account um otherwise what ends up happening is if we're both working on it at the same time we're both pushing up code to the server at the same place and we'll just write over each other's code every time um, so that is the fun with, it's not for those developers listening. It's not about source control, source control. Everything's in Git. That's fine. It's about the testing environment because you can only test this on BGA. So you have to have a cloned test environment for all your developers so that they're working in their own environment whenever you're working on this. And then you can push it up to, you know, GitHub, your normal source control, and then um, share that. And then the next time you push it up, you'll get it there. So Terrence asks, is this going to go on your resume or is this just a learning experience? Like, why would you put yourself in this situation? Um, so I don't think that, I don't know if this is going to be something on my resume, um, depending on how much I get into this, because, um, it depends like something that you put on your resume. You want to make you, you want to make sure you can actually back it up. If you say like, Oh yeah, I know PHP. Then people might ask you PHP questions. And then <laughs> yes. if you don't actually know PHP, then you look like a fool. So it's better to like not put something on your resume. And then if you come across PHP, you're like, okay, I'm familiar with this. Um, so yeah, you definitely don't want to misrepresent your resume. It's like, Oh, I see it here that it says that, you know, C plus plus, how would you handle this situation? C plus plus? Uh, I don't know. I just, I'd use JavaScript. I dabbled in C plus plus once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't... the short answer is probably not. Yeah. And I don't know. But it's always good to learn like a lot of 
coding technologies and paradigms because all this stuff you end up interacting and interfacing with eventually. Yeah. And that's, I kind of feel the same way. It's, it's okay to put that kind of thing on your resume if it's like really low on the list. But if you were to put it as something like high on your skills list or something, I expect people when I look at their resumes to know the first five items, I want them to be experts in those first five items or just don't put them there. Um, and I don't know that I would put this on a resume unless I did it more than once. If I just did one yeah. game, uh, the problem with this, and I, I, even now I look at the code, I'm like, okay, I would have already done things differently knowing what I know now if I started over. Because I have you know probably 100 hours plus into this already. And if I were to start over... I would be like, okay, this was a problem, so I would do it this way instead of that way. Um, And then some of the stuff I would keep the same. But those are the kinds of things where on your second or third game, in this case a game, you are starting to learn the platform and the languages and how they interact to a point where you can actually set them up in a reasonable way that you know I would not be embarrassed to show to someone. This code, I don't think anyone should ever look at it because it's (laughs) ugly. Which is why you're showing it to me. Yeah, well, you're not anyone. You're just you're no one. So, yeah. <laughs> now it's it it's sense. one of those things where as you you that first one, I just don't want anyone to learn from this. This is a learning exercise. It is not a teaching exercise. So I can bring you into it because I can actually teach you what I've learned because I'm talking to you directly. But if you were to look at this code base and be like, huh, that's a weird way to do things, but I guess that's the way it's done. It's like, well, no, that's how I did it because I didn't know that it should have been done this way or that way. So, but it it will get done. It will work. There's nothing that's broken with it. Um, it's just not totally perfect. Um, I, I guess, all right, I have a question on here. Should this be on Board Game Arena? As opposed to? As opposed to not. Is this a game? So we talked about Wingspan. And Wingspan Digital made me not like the physical game. uh, Because I found myself kind of just like, it felt the same every time I played it. It was either maybe too fast or there's something about the game in digital form that made it But you don't like Wingspan anyway. Well, I didn't hate it in, in the real form until I played it digitally. And then I really started disliking it. Okay, but to be fair, the digital version of the game is not good. Well, the yeah, it was the app version of it. The, the BGA version is. of it isn't terrible, though. The BGA version is pretty good. And surprised me when it was released on BGA, honestly. But um, that version's all right. It's still, it's like, eh, I don't... It's not one of those games where I can just see myself playing over and over. And so what are you going to do? Just tease everybody and say that you're writing this game and say, well, like, I completed it, but you know what? I don't actually don't like it. I'm not going to release it. Well, and all right. So maybe you're the wrong person to ask because you've only played it once. I think maybe after you've played it 50 more times, I should ask you again. Do you still want to play it? And so, I, I, okay. Hold, having Wanting to play a game and releasing it are two different things. Right. Oh, yeah. Like if you complete the game and you decide, you know what, I don't like this game. Do you really want to deny everybody else from playing the game that you don't like that you end up not liking? I mean, if I can't have joy from it, why should anyone? <laughs> okay. Well, there's your answer, everybody. All right. There you go. <laughs> no, I'm 
And well, the reason I even bring up the question is because um, when I look at something like Railroad Inc. or Next Station London, which are both, again, uh, limited turn roll and write games, I can play those games over and over and over and over and over. And I didn't write them, but I can still, I'm like, I think my, actually, I will tell you right now what my um, uh, play rate, I think Railroad Inc. has got to be my most played game on BGA. But let's see, my profile, games, Railroad Inc., I've played 159 times on Board Game Arena. And maybe a dozen or two dozen times in real life. The next closest game is Next Station London at 73. And then Welcome to is 30, Azul 28, Homeworld, and Great Western Tale are 20. So those are my top games played. And I will still play Railroad Inc. as soon as it pops up. And I think that Hadrian's Wall, I think I would do the same. I think that if it existed... And I'm, I'm, my goal is to make this game play in six turns so that you, you end your turn six times and then you're done with the game. So it's basically the same calendar time, wall clock time, physical real time to play the game as Railroad Inc. So you could play a game a day pretty easily. That is my goal. And if I made that work, I could see Hadrian's Wall being like up there with the plays of Next Station London and Railroad Inc. That said... It's going to take over 159 plays before <laughs> to get I'm going to be able to release it, right? So it automatically has this, I've already played it so many times, can I keep playing it type of thing. But you are right. It's not about me. It's about the people who haven't got to play it that really should play it. And that's why you're going to make sure that we're actively contributing to the code base on a regular basis. Okay. All right, I will it's all make sure of now. that. So, Pester Fletcher on Discord, where you will never find him. <laughs> just, You're not just wrong. Sure, yeah, just make sure to at him so that you don't even get, get notifications. The emails. <laughs> you get an email saying, hey. Yeah, it's like someone mentioned you on Discord. I'm like, all right, I guess yeah. I'll log in and look. Yeah, well, some of the things that we can do, um, and I work best in like working sessions where you're working next to somebody. Um, so like jumping on zoom and like just spending three hours, like even if you're almost in silence, just doing your own thing is a very productive three hours for me. Cause it like focuses me on like that one thing. So I think that we should set up, you know, maybe not every single weekend, but any, anytime we have a few hours free, it's like, okay, yeah, let's jump on, get some work done. And that will help motivate me into working into the evening until three or four in the morning. That's what I was doing when I first started working on it. I was working until like three or four in the morning. Um, and yeah, just playing this game over and over and over and over and over and over. At some <laughs> end over. I wish that, so I have to get it in the alpha before I can get it. Um, anyone else can play because everyone's else. I've had a number of people reach out and say, hey, um, if you need help play testing, let me know. A, awesome. B, playtesting sucks, but awesome anyway. And C, I can't let anybody playtest it until it's in alpha because when it's in the dev environment, um, you have to jump through a whole lot of hoops to be able to actually have multiple people play. So the way that we did it with Fletcher is he actually logged in as me from his machine. And so he was playing a version of me. Um, 
It's just the way the development environment works. There's 10 me's on any game that I can make. Uh, so you just every everyone who joins is a version of me, me zero through nine. But that doesn't really work out. It doesn't scale to actual testers. So once we get this into alpha, then more people will be able to test it. The thing with the alpha program for Board Game Arena, though, is there are a lot of people who have access to it. So once you put something in alpha, um, people can just start playing it. And I think I should be able to have some control as to like how wide a release it is, but I don't know yet. So that's something I have to look into. And if anyone knows, or if anyone has gone through this, um, let me know. I'm more than happy to hear from people who've experienced what it is to release an alpha game or test a very early alpha game. Um, Cause there will be bugs. There will be problems. There will be things to, to fix. Um, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of excited. I don't sound excited. Do I Fletcher? <laughs> you don't sound that excited but i think you're right like it can be one of those things we don't have to do it every weekend but it can be something that we can do you know every once in a while on a on a week on a weekend day that um we just meet up for like two or three hours and we both sit there silently coding yeah. on a zoom well, call well and even even like meeting up saying okay um we're gonna meet next sunday one o'clock um, so one to four next Sunday, we're going to write some code. But by then, I want to have this, this, and this done for you so that you can use that. And oh, can you get this and this done so that I can use it? So it actually, even though we're meeting up for three hours, if we have something to achieve before we end up meeting up, that still is motivating outside of that time as well. It's just, it's way easier to build something with somebody else than it is to build something by yourself. And that's really... Yeah. My, the advantage of having you involved in this is that I can stay engaged because I don't need to be, be the only one engaged. As long as you're engaged, if my engagement wanes, your engagement will bring me back into it and <laughs> vice versa, maybe. So, And then when we release this, you can actually participate in our Hadrian's Wall tournament. Sorry, I was going through Discord and looking at um, stuff. And I, I see that you created like this secret channel. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. There's nothing posted here. No, Except there's all, kind, there's all kinds of secret, secret channel. channels in Discord, though. Like the I Marvel have, Snap channel. And the Marvel Snap channel. And the BGA notification channel. So you really should play more BGA games now. If you're going to be writing a game for the platform, playing on the platform is a pretty good way to get familiar with the platform. This is true. Just saying. Um, oh, who posted in Railroad Inc.? Oh, that's old, I think. Um, sorry, now you have me distracted with Discord. Way to go. All right. That is Hadrian's Wall. It is coming soon again. And if it coming doesn't... soon-ish. Coming soon-ish. If it doesn't, it's all Fletcher's fault. My Actually, my real goal... So there are three main components of the game that still don't work. Um, if you're familiar with Hadrian's Wall, it's trades... Uh, scouting and gladiators. These three pieces of the game are the the most. They break away from the standard methodology or the standard game core game mechanic of unlock this. You can do this. Each one of these things has like a special kind of mini game associated with it. So that those three pieces need to be coded. So once I have those three pieces in, and there's one a couple elements I need to w- rework with the database. Um, I'm going to try to push it to alpha at that point. Because once it's in alpha, then we can start iterating on it and have other people test it. I just have to finish those aspects. 
And find all the bugs and break the game. Right, but we can do that in alpha. Um, I just don't want to release a partial game to alpha. I want to release a full game. So you, if Happy Path with no bugs, you can actually get through the entire game. So that will be my goal. That will not be a crazy amount of time. Um, and there we go. Uh, Miles asked, will there be a Windows version? Of course there will, because this is all web technology. And the great thing about today's technology is I can usually write something once and run it all over the place. And it makes life just a much nicer thing where I don't have to... Back in my day, when I was actually doing video <laughs> game development, you if you wanted a Mac and Windows version of a game, you literally wrote a native Mac app and a native Windows app. Like, you just had to do that. Um, they did have... Uh, there's people that are listening. They're old enough to know what Flash is. Um, so that was a browser-based technology that could be run on Mac or PC. And so you'd had a lot of Flash games, but and you knew they were Flash computer games. And the, yeah. In you, the it literally... Yeah. It melted your processor. That's how inefficient that platform was. But um, Apple killed them when they brought out the iPhone and said, nope, we are not going to support Flash. And then Flash promptly went away. So this, the new web technologies are much more cross-platform and much easier to make compatible. And yes, Miles, I know that was a joke based on our introduction or our pre-show conversation, but it's still worth noting that BGA runs on everything because it uses this old school web tech. Um, And yes, I did have to walk uphill both ways. Because my first trip, I was walking from my home to the school. And then after school, I had to walk to my mom's friend's house where she watched me. So then I had to walk up another hill to get there. And yeah, when you're in a car, you don't notice the downhill part of it. (sighs) The olden days. Life is rough. (laughs) All right. On that note, let's get out of here. All right. I'm going to do Kitty's part. And then you can do your names. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member. I'm going to read this as it's written without stopping again. And just, I'm going to do this the same thing she does. All right, all right, all right. No ad-libbing. Can I do it? Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be a part of our live recordings Monday nights at 8.30 Central. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. It is also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games on Board Game Arena. The show notes have the links you need, and you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes. He did, in fact, read it as it was written, so <laughs> good job. No ad-lib- no ad-libbing. Yay! Your turn. Listing fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Timothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keith, Leon Verhol, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yossi, Tolkien Fan Forever, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Redke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan C., Darren McClellan, David Garner, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gilstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Salander, Adrian Dong, Eric Kuffman, J- Jason Rodney, Justin Willard, Jerry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Krista Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. And thank you to anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us, past, present, and future. If you want to be one of those future patrons, turn into a present patron. Links are in the show notes. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. 
All right. So Fletcher, from now on, now that you are a BGA developer, every time Kitty or I send you a link to Welcome to or Railroad Inc., you're going to click it and you're going to join the game. (laughs) And more importantly, far more importantly, you're going to take turns on a reasonable rate. That was only... I've never had that problem before. It was only these, the last two that you invited me to because <laughs> you got me hooked on Marvel Snap. But it hasn't been a problem in the past. All right, fine. We're going to start a railroading game tonight, and you're going to join it. Oh, my God.